This is Healthcare Strategies. This podcast was recorded remotely due to the coronavirus pandemic. As a result, the quality may be a little lower than our usual standards. We appreciate your patience as we practice social distancing. From all of us at Intelligent Healthcare Media, stay healthy, stay safe, and enjoy the latest episode of Healthcare Strategies. Hello, and welcome to Healthcare Strategies. I'm Emily Sokol, Senior Researcher and Editor at Extelligent Healthcare Media. Today, we're speaking with Renee Buckingham, President of Partners in Primary Care, a wholly owned subsidiary of Humana, focusing on providing primary care to seniors through clinics and management service organizations in markets across the United States. Today, Renee will be discussing how Partners in Primary Care is helping to care for seniors. Welcome, Renee. Thanks, Emily. Glad to be here. So to start, Renee, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about Partners in Primary Care's overall structure and its care team approach. Sure. Partners in Primary Care today operates just around 60 centers. We're in the process of opening four more additional centers that'll be operating between now and the first quarter. Um, We've developed centers that focus on a care team approach to meet the unique needs of seniors, especially those that are managing um, multiple chronic conditions. Our centers have unique features that are built specifically with the senior patient in mind. So um, we typically are in um, a one-story retail location, easy access from parking to our office. Um, We've invested in unique things like brewer chairs that allow people who have difficulty with um, navigating from the wheelchair or from a standing position into a sitting and laying position. Um, And we've invested in other members of our allied health uh, team to support seniors um, who have a number of challenges, not only managing their physical health, but oftentimes dealing with other Uh, social determinants that prevent them from really achieving their best health. So we have social workers and behavioral health specialists and pharmacists and others who collaborate with our primary care physicians to really ensure that we're meeting all of their needs. Fantastic. And I would imagine that there's many unique services that you need in order to provide care for patients who might have potentially multiple chronic conditions. What services or technologies do you see as really being essential in this senior-focused medical care? Yeah, so we really believe that seniors, especially those living with chronic conditions, um, need to um, be engaged with their healthcare team, whether they're feeling well um, or whether they're they're having an acute need. And so we've established a number of ways in which to continuously interact with their patients. So we ask our patients to come see us a minimum of four times a year. We've invested in nurse care coaches who work with individuals around a number of chronic conditions like diabetes, cardiovascular challenges, um, et cetera. Uh, to really make sure that they have all of the information necessary that they're they're managing on a day-to-day basis their condition and to ensure that if they have any needs that we're addressing them. And then we also believe that there are other challenges that those individuals face. So for example, you know, many of our patients are in lower socioeconomic communities and 
um, you know, need access to discount programs or access to um, other resources that might be available in the community. So we have folks um, who, who are really focused on connecting our patients with those resources. So, you know, uh, resource specialists that, that help, for example, you know, our diabetics find discounts for their insulin or, uh, you know, other drugs that patients might need that maybe are not affordable is just one example of some of the work that we do for this unique population. Great. And I'm curious, Renee, you know, engaging patients as we're increasingly in a more and more virtual world, what role do technologies like telehealth play in those engagement strategies or even helping patients identify um, discount programs or other maybe community partnerships that might be helpful to them? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we have always offered virtual capabilities as part of our um, primary care practice, but uh, we found that our seniors really like coming to visit us. I think it's the deep relationships that they develop, not only with their primary care physician, but with other members of the care team. Um, and in fact, uh, most of our centers have uh, community rooms in which we provide programming and cla- uh, you know a variety of classes, silver sneakers and Tai Chi and all, all of that. And so I think we've really become a destination for our seniors to come visit. But, you know, with COVID, like many other organizations, we had to quickly pivot to using virtual more robustly in in our practice. We did keep all of our centers open and we were able to meet the acute needs of our patients, um, you know, during those uh, most difficult months of of April and May. Um, And we converted the majority of our non-acute visits to virtual visits. So using the, the capabilities that are embedded in our EMR, as well as you know anything that we could, could get um, and make easy for our patients to connect with us. So we were using you know, iPhones with FaceTime and, and WhatsApps and just about any, any platform we could access to, to create a virtual encounter with them. Um, but as we as we progressed, you know, into the into the year, and um, we recognized that you know new ways of interacting are, are becoming much more acceptable by our patient base, um, we're finding a pretty significant um, uptick in in virtual interaction. Not only virtual visits with our primary care physicians, but virtual encounters with the other members of our care team. So our care co- care coaches are you know, interacting with their patients um, more virtually today than they had been in the past. And what's so um, so exciting is to see the adaptability and adoptability of the technology by seniors. I think a lot of people didn't think that seniors would move so quickly to using virtual capabilities. I was going to say, I think the senior population is often sometimes falsely accused of not being very tech savvy. And what we're hearing really across the industry is a lot of them are liking the telehealth visits. I mean, we all are, are missing that in-person interaction these days, but a lot of the senior population is not as... Uh, tech inhibited as I think they often sometimes get the bad rep for. So I'm curious, can you talk a little bit more about how your patients are accepting these new technologies and um, some of their perceptions of them? Yeah, it's funny, you know, I think we had that bias as well because we we work with seniors every day. And 
you know, I think what we forgot was that um, many of them are, you know, ordering things on Amazon and using Netflix and interacting with grandchildren all across the country. And so many of them, you know, knew how to use the technology. And so when we educated them and, and helped them understand that it could also be used to facilitate their healthcare, I think they were um, you know, surprisingly excited about the opportunity. What I would say though for us, which has been somewhat um, unique and, and a little bit of a challenge that we're working aggressively to overcome, is that to have a really meaningful virtual visit, you, you really need you know, really good broadband access. And in many of our communities, the technology that our patients are using um, isn't necessarily as advanced as we would like it to be in order to facilitate that kind of visit. So we've actually run some pilots where we have provided an iPad to our patients that is loaded with the right kinds of software and broadband access um, so that we can, can stay connected with them. Um, and, you know, it, it is proving to be very valuable. I would say, though, that nothing replaces that face-to-face -face interaction and not everything can be done virtually. And so we're learning together with our patients, you know, those things that absolutely have to be done in the office versus those things that can be done virtually. And, and I do believe that as technology continues to advance more and more, we will be able to do virtually, but there are some things you just have to come into the office for today. Right. And Renee, how are you balancing the need for in-person interaction safely with virtual care? What technologies are potentially helping with that or what sort of patient education resources are helping make those decisions or helping patients understand when they need to come in compared to when a virtual visit can suffice? Yeah, so a couple of things. Very early on, we established um, patient safety standards, you know, following the CDC guidelines and then going a little bit above and beyond that um, to ensure that the environment that we were asking them to enter was as safe as we could make it. So ensuring that, you know, our healthcare professionals had PPE, you know, managing patients who had respiratory symptoms in a different area of our medical centers than the other patients. We're asking all patients to wear masks. Uh, they're greeted at the front door and their temperature is taken and, and we're asking, you know, the CDC questions for screening. So we're doing as much as we can so that when you do come into our environment, it is as safe as it can be. But, you know, it, we're really leaving that decision about when to come in for a face-to-face -face visit versus when to interact with us virtually, primarily to be left um, to our primary care physician's determination. But what we are finding is that we're interacting with our patients more frequently. So for example, they, they may come in physically to see the primary care physician and to have a particular diagnostic test or screening done, but they're then following up with us virtually, you know, because we're working on closing a gap in care or we're dealing with a housing insecurity issue or a food insecurity issue and we're working with them virtually. So it's been additive, I think, to our overall care model versus one or the other. That's great. I'm wondering if you had to point to specific technologies that have been 
really essential, which ones would you pick, particularly when you're mentioning these more frequent visits that you're seeing, whether that be virtual or in-person or in combination with your patient population? Yeah, it's really important to have very simple technology that that our patients can use. I'm a sort of that one button gets me directly connected. We have found that really the best vehicle for that has been our um, electronic medical record where, you know, we work with the vendor and the vendor has made investments in making it easier to um, pre-register, to get into a portal, and then to be able to connect for that virtual visit more quickly. Um, I would say it's less of a technology challenge and and more an educational opportunity. So, you know, because we are dealing with the senior population and some of this connection is new to them in the medical field, what we are having to do is to change some of our workflows. So, for example, if, if I'm scheduled for a virtual visit, you know, we've got our front office staff really working on ensuring that the patient is pre-registered to our electronic medical record portal, that we've given them instructions, that we've done a test video call with them to make sure that their um, technology will support the virtual visit at a quality, you know, good enough to have that interaction with a, with a medical professional. And then, you know, we call them 15 minutes before uh, their scheduled appointment time and get them connected. And then they are in a virtual waiting room until their provider connects in with them. So not so much a technology challenge, but much more an operational and educational challenge. Absolutely. And as you're thinking about 2021 planning and beyond, I'm curious what role you see technology playing in the future of partners in primary care, particularly with assisting in these workflow challenges. Yeah, so I think we will continue to see an increased engagement with our patients using virtual capability. And I also think that as technology develops around you know, wearable devices and devices that are readily available, you know, as apps on on a phone to be able to do diagnostic screenings and to be able to enhance the virtual visit. I think that will increase um, the viability of virtual in our practice. We're spending a lot of time investigating what those types of capabilities are and, you know, securing access to some of those types of devices that we can provide to our patients um, to create that better virtual connectivity. I think connection is something that we all have realized is incredibly important, particularly in, in 2020. That's right. You know, I don't think any of us thought that, you know, what, nearly nine months later, we'd all be, you know, still at home, but here we are. And, you know, despite the challenges that that we've all faced, you know, I think a lot of really good things have come out of it, at least for us and for our patients in terms of, you know, accelerating the use of new technology and the ability to help them address other needs as well. Well, Renee, those were all of the questions that I had for you. Thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation with us. I think it was really important. Thanks, Emily. We really appreciate the opportunity to share a little bit of our partners in primary care story. And for our listeners, we're wondering how COVID-19 has transformed the way that you think about caring for your patient population. Let us know your thoughts at mHealthIntel. Thanks for listening.
This has been an Intelligent Healthcare Media production.